Hello and welcome back to another edition of NEMT Radio. I'm your host, Rob Lawrence, and this week we're going to talk about uh, infections, not the sort that uh, befall your patient, but the potential that we can take something on our computers into hospitals and into our systems. And those infections, of course, are hacks and generally looking after cybersecurity and to help me have that discussion. I'm delighted to welcome the Director of EMS Education for Roan State Community College in East Tennessee. And also, in fact, David, why don't you tell them what you do for NAMT as well? Uh, so uh, thank you for having me, Rob. This is uh, uh, we, We'd never like to talk about infections, but uh, my roles, as you said, Director of EMS Education at Roan State Community College, I've been for uh, uh, about 13 years, working on 13 years now. For NAEMT, I am the chair for the Disaster Preparedness and EMS uh, Committee. Uh, And uh, cybersecurity is one that we have taken a relatively healthy interest in over this year, presented a webinar, working on some uh, uh, poster materials. So you're going to be seeing a lot. So this goes along with some of the stuff that we've been talking about there. Wonderful. So to kick us off, of course, my hometown right now is Las Vegas, and I've been watching the news with some horror as hackers and attackers, and call them what you will, are bit by bit taking down all of the systems inside these casinos here. And casinos, multiple uh, casinos. Multiple casinos. You'd think they'd actually be on top of their cybersecurity game. But what it tells me, David, is nobody is a mutant here. And so just talk about uh, some of the things we should think about in our own systems. Well, so let's start off with this and why it affects us. So yes, they're hitting a casino. And if you take a look at that, uh, those individuals are usually very well prepared and on top of things. Um, So let's shift and take a look. And you can take a look at many different uh, reports uh, from online to uh, radio and news articles about healthcare systems being affected by uh, cyber intrusions or cyber attacks, uh, as, uh, as they're known as well. And now we're taking a look, and the topic here that we've got going on today is if it can hit our regional health system or our children's hospital, which have uh, these IT specialists on staff, what is it looking like in the EMS systems? Those of us that are out there from local volunteer uh, ambulance corps in, in multiple parts of the country to large uh, multi-million billion dollar corporate entities that are out there. Uh, we're all targets as well. And it has far streaming effects from just our computer or our IP addressable device, uh, medical care device that's out there it has a the potential to impact a whole lot bigger community. So talk about the types of attack that could happen against us, not only on the truck, but also in our headquarters, in our IT uh, systems. So if you take a look, and this is the interesting part, I'm going to mention a bad word here at the very beginning. If you take a look, this is what HIPAA was actually first started uh, to come about, is a transmissing of personally identifiable information when it comes to billing. Okay, so everybody sees HIPAA and sees it a bad, but this is protecting the data that we have. All you have to do is quickly look at what we have access to. So some of the threats, I'm going to mention probably one of the first and why, like I said, HIPAA was a big deal. We have access to patient's name, date of birth, address, typically Social Security, health insurance information. And with that, we have the ability to go out and create an alternate identity 
and we have the ability to run up credit cards or loans or shipments and all this different stuff. And if you take a look at the composite data that we collect, you have two ambulances that run 15 calls a day. That's 30 people times 365 days a year. That's a massive number of, of uh, data points that these, uh, they, that these bad or cyber criminals have access to, and they can go on and create. So they come into your system. And they take all of that data, harvest all that data, and do nefarious things with it. The other thing that we see, and and it's uh, probably one of the most prevalent, is a ransomware attack. And this is where they put something on your computer, shut down the system, and tell you, pay me X amount of dollars, and I will give you access back to your system. Uh, and, and usually it's done in such a way that it's very difficult to track. They do it in cryptocurrency, so you can't see the transmission of these. And so very difficult for them to be found. But our, our data and our IP addressable medical equipment is vital to the care. So it's either pay them or be down without it for a while. Just to cut in on the ransomware, I did actually a podcast with uh, Mike Tegman and Bill Ott, and we talked about the uh, ransomware attack in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, and I'll put that in the show notes. So if people want to listen back to that and obviously the ramifications, implications, and hazards that go with that, then, of course, this can be a sort of allied to this podcast. As you mentioned, HIPAA, I'm going to carry on with HIPAA, of course. Not only is our, our data points that you mentioned absolutely you know, a must-have for any type of hacker, it's also a massive disclosure that you must make should your systems be compromised because that level of breach is probably going to make the headline news. Absolutely. And so there's a couple things uh, that you end up having there is the negative attacks uh, that come after that. Well, you released all my information. And so uh, do you have to uh, go on and provide identity protection uh, for these individuals afterwards? Uh, many of us have been subject to a data breach, whether it's something like Netflix. Um, my uh, wife and son just got a notification from um uh, a uh, physical therapy location where their data had been breached, uh, a children's hospital where both of my kids have been treated. And we get these things that say we are going to provide identity theft protection for X number of years. And so that's a cost to them. So now you're already running on razor thin margins uh, in the field because we know reimbursement rates. And now you're having to pay out settlements for class action, uh, which may include this identity theft protection. And that's going to make it even more difficult to uh, provide what you need for your personnel, for your equipment protection, because now if you've had an attack, you need to make sure that you don't ever have one again. Yeah, so it's it's a hazardous life that we lead. And, of course, uh, one of the uh, – back in the early days, of course, people wanted to have USB sticks to stick in your electronic patient care record. And, of course, uh, there was that, uh, oh, no, no, we're not doing any of that. We've got to keep a very, very close system. But, of course, any hacker or anybody with uh, malintent – can possibly get into our systems and, uh, you know, not just computers, but obviously monitors and all the other equipment we carry on the truck. I mean, these days there's even some sort of hackable chip in your washing machines, for goodness sake. So, you know, everything is at risk, right? Absolutely. And when, when you take a look at what they call the Internet of Things, this is going beyond what we normally think. We normally think our computer and our cell phone and our tablet devices are IP addressable, right? But now we're talking about uh, printers. We're talking about, uh, you know, heck, one of the, the biggest devices now that people are doing is going to their, uh, to their appliance shop and getting a, um, 
a refrigerator that has an IP addressable camera that you can take a look from your device and see what's in your refrigerator to make sure you have milk and stuff like that. Well, that becomes part of this whole thing. So on the, on the ambulance side, we need to take a look because all this stuff is designed to be transmitted to the hospital to prepare them for the next level of care. We're looking at that continuum of care from the pickup to the transport to the hospital and handoff to their next level, right? And so we're transmitting a 12 liter, we're transmitting an ultrasound, or we're transmitting uh, different lab values that we've received. And if we haven't made sure that those are patched and, and protected, now not only are we sending that data packet that includes that 12 lead that can be read by the cardiologist, but now we're sending a ransomware uh, file along with it or, or something that's gonna allow them a backdoor access that they can change things, a, a key logger, that they can see all the passwords being typed in or those kind of things. And so not only do we have to protect to make sure that we can continue to use it, but then we're not infecting the next level and, and taking down a regional community or a regional uh, trauma center or a children's hospital. David, what about some of the sort of countermeasures then? What should we be doing? I mean, hopefully a lot of Certainly, if you're a, a leader or a manager, you should be having some sort of um, cyber training or, or updates, et cetera. But, you know, what are the basic rules for just keeping our data and our stuff safe? First and foremost, make sure that you're uh, updated to the most recent security patches. So we all look at uh, devices now, and um, I think everybody can see they go if they have an iPhone or an Android, you go into your updates for all of your apps. And every day, take a look at your app that it's updating. And what does it say? Bug fixes and security patches. Um, and that's what they're doing is every day something new comes out uh, and we're trying to fix or prevent something from occurring. So somebody comes up with a new way, it's our responsibility to create a new way. So make sure all of those devices are updated to the most recent patches that are out there. Second is just standard cyber hygiene. Um, you know, take a look at this like washing our hands, right? They say washing our hands is the number one way to prevent disease transmission. So let's take a look at uh, our cyber hygiene, how we are washing our hands per se. If you have an email come in, um, and we've seen a number of them, even here at the institution I'm at, uh, Rob, Rob sent me a message. Hey, David, are you on campus today? I need you to do me a favor. And it's usually go out and buy an Amazon gift card. Right. They 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 have very good spoofs for your email. If it doesn't sound right, I, I know, Rob, you're not going to ask me to send you a hundred dollar Amazon gift card unless you give me a call. Challenge that. Don't click on the link and start putting in information. Right. Because at that point, you've given them access and they're, 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 it's off to the races at that point in time. So when an email comes in, take a look at it. If it doesn't make sense, if your CEO is telling you to send this massive file of information or, hey, uh, you, you need to update your stuff, give me all of your passwords and I can tell you whether they need to be updated or not, check the validity of that. It could be that you look on the source, you can go to all of your emails and most of them right click view source and you see it come from somebody else. It looks like it comes from, from CEO of XYZ Ambulance. But if you look at it, it looks like it comes from dot UK or dot new, some other domain somewhere else. Don't respond. Or I can call, Hey Rob, do you really ask me for that? No. All right. I know it's a problem, but right, that's probably one of the easiest ways for them to get in. We just give it to them, 
So if you don't recognize it, it looks odd, stop and ask the question, right? Um, and then the other part to that is if you have a, a service, if we're talking about the the leader of an organization, whether it's a community, uh, a municipal uh, ambulance service, a, a private ambulance service, a hospital-based ambulance service, or even a volunteer corps, you need somebody to advise you on cyber techniques. It may be a partnership. It may be that you hire an IT official. Um, when we did the NAEMT webinar on cybersecurity, one of the comments that we kept seeing is you keep talking about hiring this IT specialists aren't cheap, right? And uh, they're having difficult paying for their crews that they have to provide care. Find a consortium that you can partner with to get ways to, to, to do that, but at least provide advice on how to keep your stuff safe and secure. Actually, David, if we can, when we come back after the break, we can talk about that webinar. And obviously you did a case study there and we'll, we'll pick up on that. And before we do that, let's just have uh, a quick message. Hey, I'm Makara Trusty. I am not only an NAEMT member, I'm also a, a member of the Lighthouse Leadership Committee. NAEMT, with support from FirstNet, built with AT&T, has developed a course to assist EMS agencies in building and supporting the mental health resilience of their personnel. The Mental Health Resilience Officer, or MHRO, course prepares EMS personnel to serve as their agency's mental health resilience officer. In this role, the MHRO will engage with peers to develop an understanding of mental health issues and resilience, identify peers who are experiencing mental health stressors and crises, navigate peers in need to the right services for help, and support the development of a culture of mental health resilience and emotional wellness within the agency. Available online and in a classroom format, and when your agency signs up for NAEMT membership, they will receive free access to this critically important course. For more details, contact membership at naemt.org or follow the links in the show notes. And we're back. And don't forget, uh, if you are listening to NAMT Radio, just take a moment to uh, hit that little check mark. If you're looking at us on your phone, it means you'll like and subscribe. And every time a new episode comes along, you'll get notification. David, have you liked and subscribed? I have. I you have. have. Good man. And of course, uh, uh, I'm talking to David Blevins, who is NAMT's Chair of Disaster uh, Preparedness and also a podcaster himself. Uh, what are you podcasting on, David? Uh, so we, we've taken a small hiatus since the last, but uh, we are the we are the EMS handoff. Uh, myself and my co-host Bradley Dean, uh, hosted uh, by Jim's, and uh, we talk we talk about the handoff, all the information that uh, the next generation needs to hear from us uh, from us old guys. And I've uh, been one of your guests, and uh, it's actually quite the pleasure to be on the side of the mic. So I'm, I'm back at you today. But that said, of course, let's let's hand off some essential information here. And uh, you did a webinar, you did a case study. I think it was Knoxville. You know, what was the issues, and of, more importantly, of course, what were the takeaways? So uh, one one of the two, we did have a, a second that, uh, there as well. But uh, this one is very close to my hometown because it was a place I'd actually worked at before. But um, their uh, their EMS uh, safety chief was working on the computer late one night, um, and he started noticing his uh, uh, system not operating correctly. And about that time he gets a phone call because he also handles, uh, the relationship with the, uh, public safety answering point. 
that said, hey, we have some significant things that are going on over there. And he goes, I am too. He goes, anything that's plugged up, unplug. And come to find out their systems uh, become uh, part of a ransomware attack. Um, and everybody thinks that, you know, shut down my computer, right? They, they, uh, everything you've seen in the movies or on TV, you know, it comes up with the skull and crossbones and that system goes down, but anything touching that system, if it's done correctly, gets infiltrated. So they ended up taking offline their public safety answering, uh, point. They took offline their MDTs, all the computers and all of the stations that did all of their reporting, all their GPS systems, their communications were hampered because their database as well. And not one that a lot of people think about, uh, can, can be handled. So they were having to go to telephone dispatching and uh, telephone communications until they could start to uh, work this back. Um, so ultimately, everything that they knew and some of their responders had only worked there since those systems were in place. So they knew nothing different. They didn't know what a paper ticket looked like. Um, and they actually had to pull those out of drawers because they hadn't done paper tickets in a decade. Um, and now they're doing everything by telephone. Somebody had to be in the watch stand, uh, something that hadn't been staffed in a long point so they could get a phone call when their truck needed to go out. And uh, this not it's not something that it's 24, 72 hours. We're talking about weeks to make sure a lot of the stuff can be pulled off, the, the data uh, uh, flow restored with no remnants of the ransomware. I've certainly been uh, in my chief operating officer days uh, where my communication center had a, uh, a an issue between, the, it was a secondary PSAP, of course, and, and so when the system went down, you have to be very, very prepared to, A, immediately gather where all of your vehicles are. You need to be able to pull up the card. Of course, if you are a, an accredited call center, you've got the MPDS card set sitting next to you, hopefully. Um, you've got old fashioned, the old-fashioned red telephone, hopefully, and you've got other means of communication. And uh, you need to be, you know, dispatch centers need to be prepared to immediately swing seamlessly into that process so you don't lose anybody or, more importantly, lose patients. And uh, whether it's a cyber attack or whether it's just some sort of outage, that's certainly something that I would commend to everybody Go, goes back into their, you know, communication center and says, okay, what happens if a, the system goes down or we lose some sort of connectivity or indeed we're hacked and some, some bad actors coming on. And I think that's, that's vitally important because of course, with that, that level of communication, we can't do what we need to do, let alone everything else going down, whether it's your, you know, patient care reports. And as you say, you know, where are the bits of paper that you write down this information on? Because these days we're trying to go paperless, but of course, you know, from a disaster and emergency management perspective, you need to be prepared to open that box and get the stuff out and start getting it out very, very quickly. Uh, absolutely. Um, and, you know, the one thing that we take a look at, we, we do mass casualty incidents or disaster response. We do trainings for, for single family dwelling fires to, to cardiac arrest and, and advanced care, right? When was the last time you trained on being without your, your communication? What, what, when was the last time you trained on pulling out some of this stuff? And the answer is majority, they're not. 
So we're in the middle of, uh, you know, technically in the middle of hurricane season still. And, you know, again, it doesn't need to be signed, but it just needs to be, you know, being prepared because the worst can, and if you follow the news, usually does happen. So that's certainly something that we want everybody to take away. Absolutely. And, and I think that's a good point because now something like that, a disaster, and one of the reasons this perked up from, from the committee that we were talking about is when you take a look at some of those, those are actually creating vulnerabilities to our systems, because now we've had to relax something to allow other responders to come in or whatnot. And those kind of things get taken advantage of. And FEMA right now is offering a, a, a new program called, or it's it's been out for a little while, called Complex Coordinated Terrorist Attacks. And so you, you take a look at a terrorist attack and imagine a detonation going off in part of your system. The secondary part to that is somebody with a computer saying, now I'm going to bring down 911. And so everybody's heard about it. The system started and now it shuts down. And so these are why some of these things have to be important on the day to day, because when you hit a bigger response, it becomes even more uh, significant. So David, sort of switching into the, uh, the the main role, if you like, uh, within NMT, of course, you are the chair of our disaster preparation, disaster response uh, activities. What else is going on with the association in, in that sphere of, uh, of operation? Well, uh, one of the things is this specific area, talking about cybersecurity. When we're talking about HHS and ASPR and some of the different uh, resources out there, they're sending out a significant amount of guidance about cybersecurity, but it's all focused on the healthcare entity, the hospitals and the facility-based, and there's not much in EMS. So we're working on uh, position papers uh, to go up to the uh, to the leadership of, of NAMT to, to reach out through either advocacy or through position statements to say, you know, EMS needs to be considered in all of these uh, documents because we are a key component of that healthcare, whether it's in the disaster realm or just daily operations. Uh, some of the other things that we're working on is is making some of this training more readily available. Uh, we're talking about uh, uh, statements to uh, working with Center for D- uh, Domestic Preparedness uh, on EMS-related training and, and where we need to go to, to be able to get that and make it a little bit more accessible, whether that's uh, virtual instructor-led trainings, which are synchronous-based trainings, or you know potentially moving some of these disaster-based uh, education programs out to uh, the communities, uh, like we do in, in other areas like fire and uh, hazmat and law enforcement. Um, one of the big things that we've worked on recently is a, a new ESF for EMS. Um, and NAEMT has posted a position paper uh, on our, our uh, position for a new emergency support function for EMS. When we got through COVID, you know, we were integral, uh, considered uh, uh, frontline to healthcare. And yet, uh, when, when we take a look at it, a lot of our funding and stuff flowed through other entities. And so how, how can we make that uh, more for the EM, making EMS more robust? So those are just a few. And our, uh, we just got out of disaster preparedness uh, month and hopefully everybody is uh, uh, better off for all the education that has come out there. But just providing general guidance for our responders uh, on how to handle a very large influx of um, uh, weather events and other stuff. We we brought in a uh, lead meteorologist from CISA to talk about adverse weather events and and how they're taking short-term and longer-term effects. So those are just a few, 
And we're actually coming up on our uh, members uh, open committee uh, meeting this coming October uh, this month. So uh, if you're interested in what's going on in the committee, please make sure and come over and take a listen. Well, I'm sure we can make sure we put that in the show notes. I want to go back to ESF emergency support functions uh, for many, many years, certainly in my Richmond, Virginia role, like I was the uh, the leader or whatever the, ter- the term is, the team leader for ESF-8. Um, and uh, what I found very useful being part of that process, and I know we're trying to get an EMS only ESF, but that said, uh, working very, very closely, particularly with our public health colleagues. Um, and certainly when we had those moments where the ESF was up and running, or in our case, down and running, because it was in the basement of, uh, of the, the city library, then working very closely with our public health colleagues on some of those issues that happened during disasters certainly paid dividends. And, uh, and you're right. And I think even though we were a multifactorial ESF system, it was EMS that was clearly taking the lead all the time because, of course, we're on the front line. And more importantly, we have all the information and all the data and know what's and we know what's going on immediately because, of course, people are calling us first and we're getting involved first. Uh, but, uh, no, I, I, I go along with the fact that it needs possibly to break out um, because we are really leading the charge in some of these emergencies and disasters. And, you know, a lot of people are like, well, you take it out and you lose that coordination. But the thing about the ESFs in this realm or whatever titles your community is using, we – we are all interconnected somehow. We're not going to just immediately break off from public health or the healthcare entities or firefighting or, you know, this is an interdependent. And as we're talking and, and supporting all of these functions, that's one of the key things that they have to take into effect. But it's kind of elevating that platform to another level. There's a reason public health is where they are. There's a reason why firefighting is where they are and hospitals and healthcare systems where they are. And we're the same way, you know, we're just going to work. And you take a look, a lot of the biosurveillance out there during COVID came from EMS. We see clusters that are coming from certain areas. And then that's where they built on after that. They, they can take, so we're public health entity, we're public safety entity. We're going to work together with all these agencies, but it's that escalation to a point that um, a lot of it breaks down into funding and stuff like that. How do you get funded for some of this stuff? Um, but, uh, that escalation, because that then takes into account where you get placed in these guidance documents, like we mentioned for disaster preparedness and ASPR, you know, it elevates that stature. So, well, it's certainly an area I'm very interested in, David, uh, having been a unified commander in some things and having been the ESF leader in others, then, uh, it's something perhaps we can come back and talk about. Obviously, as you say, there is a, a move to extract EMS from ESF. Too many acronyms already, but uh, that's, that's what's going on. So perhaps we can come back in future editions of uh, NEMT Radio and, and have that particular discussion, perhaps. We'd love to. I, I, you know, There's a lot of good things that are going on, and, and it's all in, a, in an effort to make sure our, our services, our practitioners all have what they need to protect the citizens and visitors to their community. Wonderful. So this is my classic podcast ending question, David. Is there anything I've forgotten to ask or anything you need to tell us? Uh, so we, we've talked 30 minutes about this, which is hours. There, there is plenty of data out there. Use this as a stepping off point. If you don't have a partnership, if you don't have cyber hygiene techniques, type in those words and you can find ways to immediately make an impact 
on your service uh, and your community by keeping it safer, uh, how to patch stuff, your cyber hygiene partnerships. Those are all uh, easy to, to, to find a way and provide guidance to your crews, um, because if not, you're going to be taken offline and it could potentially have adverse effects. So that's my thing. If you don't know, use this as a stepping off point. Go to NAEMT. We're starting to, to release a little bit more, uh, trying to make cybersecurity a, a big deal in EMS. And um, absolutely uh, use this as, a, as your diving board. So I think the word of the uh, podcast is going to be uh, cyber hygiene. Make sure we are washing everything we possibly can. And uh, anything you want to share with us, uh, David, we can put in the show notes. So all of our NAEMT members, and in fact, anybody listening, can actually then click in and uh, click in appropriately without uh, um, safely click, let's say there, and uh, get the resources that we need. And actually, just going back, I work with an organization, and you talk about sending links and all that sort of thing. We actually have a process where we authenticate every time. If we send something, we have to authenticate with a piece of information that only we would know. Th that helps us just err on the side of safety. It, and so it, that's something that, that we certainly do. Um but David, listen, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, we uh, will put all the show notes uh, together with all the resources, all the links that you can appropriately click, hopefully. Um, and uh, therefore, there'll be a hope. And therefore, there'll be a great package to uh, share with uh, all that are listening and our NEMT members. Sounds great. So that was uh, my guest, David Blevins, and always a pleasure to chat to David. And by the way, we missed you at uh, in New Orleans this year at uh, the NANT general meeting and all of the meetings that went on there. And uh, uh, you were actually, I, I heard folk mentioning your name, so you were definitely missed. I can confirm that. Uh, I had one other commitment that unfortunately escalated above that this year. I hope to be back uh, next year. But uh, thank you very much indeed, David Blevins. Thank you, Rob, for having me. Everybody have a blessed day. So for the moment, NEMT Radio, David Blevins was the guest. I've been Rob Lawrence. And until next time, bye for now.